weaponization, the politicization of the FBI and the DOJ. Yeah, this is moved from an eyebrow raiser to what the heck is going on here, people. Uh, I think that was highlighted by the raid on the home of pro-life activist and author Mark Hoke, a man with no criminal record, let alone a violent criminal record. You contrast that with over 40 acts of violence against pro-life pregnancy centers since June, a national organization that identifies themselves as Jane's Revenge has taken credit for at least 18 of these acts, which include vandalism, destruction of property, arson, firebombing. Not a single arrest has been made as of today. So let's look at this DOJ under Merrick Garland and how he responds to those people who are conservative, hold traditional values concerning parent-child relationships, religion and faith, sanctity of life, so yet another rabbit hole, people. Let's jump down this one and try to make our way to the top of this one. Yeah, we're going to do this. Let's go. You're at the Over or Under Show. I'm your host, Ed Henderson. And man, it's a crazy world we live in. It has no shortages of rabbit holes. I'm not scared of rabbit holes. If you're not scared of rabbit holes, this show is for you. Let's see if we can jump in one and make our way back to the top. So starting out, I do not want to make this about abortion. It's kind of hard to avoid it because that seems to be the flashpoint what triggered this whole incident. But what I really want you to focus on is the Department of Justice's response to people on different sides of the issue. And and in particular, the raid on the home of Mark Hoke. Now, he's a well-known pro-life activist who routinely prays outside of abortion clinics. I searched for videos of the man protesting, which I couldn't find any. I was looking for, I don't know, I guess I wanted to get an idea of what protesting looks like with this gentleman. Is he doing what he describes as sidewalk counseling, which seems to be very uh, civil, doesn't seem to be very violent? Or is he acting like a Westboro Baptist spewing nothing but hatred? But again, I couldn't find anything Uh, that showed him out in front of uh, abortion clinics. I'll continue to look, and if I find one, I'll surely share my impressions with that. But I did find some of his lectures. He seems to be a very mild-mannered person. Uh, The best you can tell from watching five minutes of a video clip, I don't know, just nothing about his persona comes off as being violent now. Neither Neither does anything about Jeffrey Dahmer, but Jeffrey Dahmer does come off as being pretty weird. This guy seems to be pretty normal. So what triggered this raid on Mr. Hoke's house is arrest. Well, according to Mr. Hoke, about one year prior to the date of this arrest and this raid, uh, he was at an abortion clinic with his son when one of the clinic's escorts, a man by the name of Bruce Love, 72 years old, invaded his son's personal space and began to verbally assault him was saying some very nasty and vicious things, again, according to Mr. Hoke. Mr. Hoke uh, intervened on behalf of his son, pushed him back, and the 72-year-old evidently fell back on his butt. Uh, No serious injuries involved. Couldn't find anything where the gentleman was transported or even treated by EMS personnel. Uh, At best, if uh, Mr. Love had any type of complaint, there would be, I don't know, maybe a consideration of simple assault, but I believe that would be offset by the assault on Mr. Hoke's son. If indeed things happened, as both men say, that they're both telling a very different story. Because Mr. Love says he was just escorting someone when Mr. Hoke just attacked him. Uh, Which, like I said, those are two very different stories. But Philadelphia police came out. 
there were no charges filed and no arrest. It did go to the District Court of Philadelphia. That DA decided not to pursue. There evidently, I guess, was nothing there. And, you know, let me just say this. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is an abortion clinic. Can you imagine the security cameras that are around that place? I would think if this was right there in front of the business and Mr. Hoke was impeding people's egress, I think that they would have caught a little something between uh, these two gentlemen. And it's just, it's just hard for me to believe that either the police or the DA did not act, ask to look at any of those recordings. Mr. Hoke seems like he's been doing this for a long time. I would think that he would know that he needs documentation of his actions when he's around these clinics. Mr. Love, the 72-year-old male claiming to have been assaulted, brings a private criminal complaint against Hoke after Philadelphia police and, and the DA decide there's no there there. You start having a series of hearings. Every time Mr. Hoke shows up for a hearing, each time Mr. Love fails to show up. Uh, Mr. Hoke's attorney, Peter Breen, has considered taking action for what he calls an abusive process. His client is obviously being harassed, takes up his time. Uh, the complainant doesn't show up. And let me inject here just my opinion, just my opinion. I think the DOJ is already involved at this point. They want Mr. Hoke to know that he can be acting perfectly within his constitutional rights, never have a charge filed against you, but through the legal processes, we will make you and your family's life a living hell. So why is this person who says he was assaulted by Hoke not showing up for these hearings? I think because the case is just that weak, and I think it would be made even weaker to have a hearing in Philadelphia, a court case, and for Mr. Hoke to be found not guilty. So they're just stringing him along until the DOJ can uh, get their case built up. So what is the DOJ's interest in this, what appears to be a local matter? And if there was anything to Mr. Love's accusations, it's a simple assault. If what uh, Mr. Hoke is saying is that his son himself was being assaulted by Mr. Love, I think you've got two things that are offsetting, and it looks like the police got it right. And it looks like that Philadelphia DA, who is not known to like conservatives. Matter of fact, it is a very liberal progressive town, very liberal progressive DA. He chooses not to prosecute. Again, what is the interest of this DOJ? Well, I think that interest would be the recent remanding of Roe v. Wade back to the states. Uh, that's where it belongs. It's, it's not in the U.S. Constitution, and the Supreme Court is not in a position to create laws. That would be your Congress. Otherwise, it is up to the states. Prior to Roe v. Wade, several states had legalized abortions with some very strict uh, guidelines to it, and you had some states that outlawed it, and then it went in front of the Supreme Court, and they thought they would just make a sweeping national law that is not addressed under the U.S. Constitution. If it was going to be done nationally, that should have happened within your Congress. And for people that are confused, and I can understand why you would be confused, because so often the Supreme Court does act like there's some type of legislative body that's going to make laws for the country. That was never their purpose. They're supposed to be referees calling balls and strikes, and they really overstepped their bounds with Roe v. Wade. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
realized the weakness of Roe v. Wade. So until Congress does something, it is with the states, and you really should not be getting upset with the Supreme Court justices for simply doing their job. But back to the topic that we're talking about, first you would have to ask yourself, how did the DOJ find time to break away from January 6th? Because the estimates are somewhere between 30,000 and 105,000 people showed up that day. And I would imagine that it is quite a task to try to draw a conspiracy amongst people who have lived up into their latter part of their years, some of them being 50, 60 years old, and I'm sure there's a lot of people, youngsters there too, but to try to make a connection between that many people to create a conspiracy to overturn an election and overthrow a government has to be a daunting task. So how did they break away from that incredible monumental task to go after what appears to be small potatoes and and something that really you would think would not even raise up on the radar is bizarre it's kind of like when they were attacking those people who showed up at a school board to express their concerns about what was being done to their children and what their children were being taught again pretty pretty silly when you start to think you your DOJ concerns themselves with this matter but they certainly did concern themselves with uh, Mr. Hoke and again to what at best could be described if he is guilty as being something of a simple assault. Well, this is how they're going to get in the back door. They're going to invoke the FACE Act, known as the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances. And let me read that to you. Forbids physically obstructing, injuring, intimidating, or interfering with anyone obtaining or providing reproductive health services. Now, the FACE Act does not in any way affect the First Amendment rights of people who are peacefully protesting. Their rights to do so are still very much in effect. If they are outside of the facility and not interfering with anybody entering or leaving, they are protected by free speech and the free exercise clauses. You have to prove a motive in a successful conviction when you're pursuing the FACE Act. The problem here is that Mr. Hoke asserts that it was the clinic worker who was verbally abusing and evading the personal space of his son. I would say that Mr. Hoke moved to protect his son, and when that was achieved, no further aggression was being pursued against worker. You really have two things going on here. You have the abortion protest, if that's the way you want to characterize it. Some people would call it a sidewalk counseling or demonstration, but whatever works for you. And then you have what happens between Mr. Hoke and Mr. Love, which, again, if it's proven that Mr. Love did indeed verbally assault and get into Mr. Hoke's son's face, then you've got really two different things. That I know it's hard to separate the two because, obviously, neither one of the gentlemen are not there if the abortions are not being performed at the clinic. So that's what brings all the players together. But I would have to say the, the game changer and, and a separate incident altogether would be the assault of Mr. Hoke's son. So I think that before the DOJ would even want to get involved with this, they should make sure, again, once again, that this is just a, not a matter of simple assault. But like I said, the DOJ has a very different agenda here. And that agenda is to make a very dramatic and public proclamation that anybody that engages in the exercise of their freedom of speech and their freedom exercise thereof will meet with this kind of reaction from the DOJ. 
So anybody who disagrees with their leftist policies, agendas, and ideologies, they will face the very same thing that Mr. Hoke is doing. You will have the FBI show up banging on your door. They may have armed guns pointing at you that you will be arrested in front of your family. It is a blatant act of intimidation and, and totally unnecessary and uncalled for in Mr. Hoke's case. You see, as soon as word came down that he was going to be indicted, Mr. Hoke's attorney said that we will peacefully surrender. As soon as they were even talking about investigating, it was made known to the Department of Justice that the lawyer and his client would come to wherever they designated, and he would very peacefully and cooperatively surrender himself. Like I said, again, it just goes to highlight what their true agenda is, and unfortunately, Mr. Hoke is just going to be the unfortunate example for anybody else that would do as he did that day. Now, my guess is going to be that what they're going to do is they're going to try to take all the lectures anywhere where Mr. Hoke was uh, talking to any groups about abortions. They're going to try to use things that happened prior to leading up to this event to hit him with the FACE Act because it's uh, very important that you prove intent. His intent would have to be one of obstruction, an act of violence against somebody working at that clinic and trying to keep uh, people from gaining access in and out. And I think the DOJ already got what they wanted. They wanted this communicated to anybody else that would try to stand up for the rights of the unborn. And if they can get Mr. Hoke convicted, again, it would just be icing on the cake for them. In the meantime, they can cost Mr. Hoke a lot of money. They can bring a lot of stress to his family. And let's do give the FBI and DOJ some credit. I mean, they've got people today that will look you dead in your eyes and say that Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians. When in reality, if you pour over the FBI's investigation, the Mueller report, you're going to come to the conclusion of how in the world were they investigating Donald Trump when it looks like Hillary Clinton and her campaign were at the center and actually colluding with the Russians. Or let me back up. That was probably too strong. There would be reasons to investigate her because two of the players were Russians. There was uh, nationals that were involved, Christopher Steele being one of them. They had very heavy connections through Fusion GPS. And that's, that's a whole nother story. I'll probably do a podcast on that. But how anybody could be investigating that thing and not connecting dots back to Hillary Clinton and her campaign, which they were fined by the FEC. But I'm, I'm thinking, you know, $108,000, they got their money's worth for what they were able to achieve and uh, what they were involved. It ended up being two impeachments, did it not? And not one of those impeachments had anything to do with Russian collusion. But that's what you were led to believe. Now, Mr. Hoke is not the first pro-life supporter to be harassed by the DOJ utilizing the FACE Act. Uh, this comes from the Heritage Foundation. They cite a case in 2012. It was brought against a Miss Mary Pine who, in their description, had conducted peaceful sidewalk counseling outside abortion clinics for years. The judge actually threw the case out and excoriated the DOJ for trying to enforce the FACE Act, but was, and in the quotation, the product of a concerted effort between the government and the abortion clinic to quell Miss Pine's activities. And again, that was a commentary from the Heritage Foundation, and the contributors were Hans Pekoski and Charles Stimson. 
So at least we're still pretty early on in this investigation, but it does look like another attempt to dissuade yet another pro-life activist from exercising their constitutional rights. So with the raid on Mr. Hoke's home, him being arrested in front of his family, his seven children screaming and crying, they achieved at least the first part of their agenda, and that is to strike fear in the hearts of the American citizens to anybody that would disagree with their ideologies and their leftist policies. His poor wife was criticized for exaggerating the raid being affected by a SWAT team of about 25 to 30 members. I think the FBI is denying that, but hey, a bunch of guys that showed up in military garbed and had guns pointing at her husband and, and arresting him, I'm, are we going to criticize her for not being able to identify the different teams that the FBI deploys? Now, given it wasn't as impressive as the raid on... Uh, Roger Stone's place, I mean, an 80-year-old man, he gets woke up in the middle of the night, and they're dropping frogmen in the canal in the back of his house, got helicopters in there, and a, a pretty impressive contingent from CNN to cover it as it goes down. But again, this is a PR. This They're sending not only Roger Stone and Mr. Hoke a message, they're sending me and you a message. Remember, Donald Trump said this. He said, they're not coming after me, they're coming for you. And once again, Donald Trump was right. Even the people that hate him are probably getting very uncomfortable and upset with how many things that he told you has come true and that he was correct on. I just don't know how the FBI and the DOJ can justify the trauma that they brought to this family. Again, the attorney for Mr. Hoke said they were willing to peacefully surrender at any given point, at a designated point that the FBI wanted. But no, the FBI wanted to make sure that you and I got this message. I got it. I got it. And I'm telling the people about it. The FBI's response after they uh, criticized uh, the wife of, that was terrorized by them, didn't know what a SWAT member was, uh, this is her statement. Extensive planning takes place prior to the service of any federal warrant. The FBI then employs the personnel and tactics deemed necessary to effect a safe arrest or search. Again, the man just needed to be told where and who to surrender himself to. How much safer would it have been to just let Mr. Hoke surrender himself with his lawyer at a place of their designation? No, they send armed personnel to his front door at the break of dawn, banging on his door. You know, what if he had a thought that it was somebody breaking into his house and he had a shot out. Somebody in his family could have been killed. Now, I think the FBI did do their homework. They knew that they were not dealing with a violent criminal and probably knew it would go off just as it did because Mr. Hope peacefully after pleading with them and letting them know something that they already knew, that he had seven babies in the house, peacefully walks outside at least is what the story is, allows himself to be handcuffed, and he's arrested. Okay, so that's enough about Mr. Hoke. Let's look how the Department of Justice responds with someone like a group named Jane's Revenge that I mentioned earlier in the opening monologue, who has taken credit for almost 20 incidents of arson, firebombing, vandalizing, and destruction of property. This has been committed against clinics, churches, campaign office of a congressman. 
here is here's a statement from Jane's Revenge. I'll read I'll read you the letter. You have seen that we are real, that we are not merely pushing empty words, as we said. We are not one group, but many. You have seen in Madison, Wisconsin, Fort Collins, uh, Rosertown, Massachusetts, Olympia, Washington, Des Moines, Iowa, Linwood, Washington, Washington D.C., Asheville, North Carolina, Buffalo, New York, Hollywood, Florida, Vancouver, Washington. Frederick, Massachusetts, Denton, Texas, Gresham, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. Uh, well, there's three in a row right here from Oregon. That might be a good place for the DOJ to start their investigation. Imagine that. Might even find some Antifa members there. Among others, continue with their letter, sorry. Among others, and we work in countless locations invisibly. You read the communiques from the very educated communiques, okay, back to letter, sorry, from the various cells, you've seen the, the proliferating messages in graffiti and elsewhere, and you know that we are serious. We were unsurprised to see 30 days come and 30 days pass with no sign of consilience or even bare minimum self-reflection from you who impersonate healthcare providers in order to harm the vulnerable. History may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes, and we've already seen such stanzas where medical autonomy is stripped away from humanity, is increasingly criminalized, and merely surviving becomes largely untenable. Your 30 days expired yesterday. We offered an honorable way out. You could have walked away. Now the leash is off, and we will make it as hard as possible for your campaign of oppression to continue. We have demonstrated in the past month how easy and fun it is to attack. We are versatile, we are mercurial, and we answer to no one but ourselves. We promise to take increasingly drastic measures against oppressive infrastructures. Rest assured that we will, and those measures may not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti. Sometimes you will see what we do and you will know that it is us. Sometimes you will think you merely are unlucky because you cannot see the ways which we interfere in your affairs, but your pointless attempts to control others make life more difficult, will not be met passively. Eventually, your insurance companies and your financial backers will realize you are a bad investment. People, listen to me. I don't know what's going to come from the prosecution of Mark Hoke. I have not seen any video. I'm Again, like I've always told you, I'm going to let the, the jury decide that if that's what happens. But let me tell you something. Mark Hoke has not destroyed anybody's property. He has not firebombed anything. He has not vandalized anything. If you were head of the DOJ, if you were the Attorney General of the United States of America, and you were weighing out where to send your resources to, would it be Mark Hoke? Or would it be Jane's Revenge? Something else that Mark Hoke has not done. He has not declared war on the United States of America or any of its citizens. America, I'll say it again, this makes no sense. Make this make sense. Can you not see the incredible biases of this FBI and this DOJ? So I spent a lot of time speaking about Mark Hoke and his situation with the DOJ. I'm not going to spend as much time on Jane's Revenge. DOJ, FBI say they are investigating, but this absolutely makes absolutely no sense. As far as Mr. Hoke goes, I hope justice is served, and I truly do mean that. I mean, if something turns up and 
It is, as Mr. Love says, that he was just trying to help people back and forth from the clinic. And uh, Mr. Hoke just attacked him unprovoked. Then I would expect for Mr. Hoke to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. I, I have no problem with that. That, that would be justice. If Mr. Hoke, though, is correct, what's his recourse? Who's he going to hold accountable? Because the DOJ just seems to skim by. Nobody's holding them accountable. Nobody has even begun to hold them accountable for what they did during the Russian collusion fiasco. And people, they're not even embarrassed by it. They seem to just double down. Because in the end, if somebody doesn't hold them accountable, what would you expect out of people to be anything but afraid or scared to come forward to bring these injustices to light? Now, there have been some very brave agents that have come forward. Some are approaching congressmen and making their complaints as whistleblowers. If you remember, do you remember how heroic the Democrats were talking about whistleblowers, how much they love whistleblowers? Let's see how much they love these whistleblowers. Some of them are coming out publicly and making a stance. People like 12-year veteran and SWAT member of the FBI, Steve Friend, said he could no longer participate in the raids that he characterized as excessive force on people that are identified as being conservative who were charged with misdemeanor offenses. I do not know Agent Friend's party affiliation, but he stated that he did not vote for Donald Trump. Friend stated that he had an oath to the Constitution and a moral objection and wanted to be considered a conscientious objector. He did make his concerns known to Inspector General Michael Horowitz. He complained that he was taken off child abuse cases and accused them of putting him on political witch hunts. Friend believes that some of the people that day talking about January 6th, did commit crimes, but many committed no crimes and are being prosecuted. Uh, he said, including violations of the Sixth and Eighth Amendment rights. Of the Agent Friend called January 6th a black swan event, which Investopedia defines as an unpredictable event that is beyond what is normally expected of a situation and has potentially severe consequences. Black swan events are characterized by their extreme rarity, severe impact, and the widespread insistence that they were obvious in hindsight. I found a, a really good article in the New York Post written by Miranda Devine, strongly recommended if you're interested in this story about uh, FBI agent Stephen Friend, but it outlines the concerns that he made to the Inspector General's office. Uh, the first one, the Washington, D.C. field office, is manipulating FBI case management protocol and farming out J6, January 6, cases to field office across the county to create the false impression that right-wing domestic violence is a widespread national problem that goes far beyond the black swan event of January 6, 2021. I think in my last podcast, I told you that January 6 is to the Democrats exactly what the Reichstag fire was to the Nazis. So the Nazis uh, took that event and blamed it on the communists and it's been speculated that the Nazis themselves participated in that. But just like the Nazis took advantage of that vent, Democrats are taking full advantage of what happened on January 6th. Second point, as a result, he was listed as a lead agent in cases he had not investigated and which his supervisors had not signed off on. This is in violation of FBI policy. FBI domestic terrorism cases are being opened on innocent American citizens who were nowhere near the Capitol on January 6, 2021. I made reference earlier 
somewhere between, and, and I'm not kidding, I know it's a wide disparity in estimates, but anywhere from 30,000 to 105,000 people were there that day. That's a huge conspiracy, and I don't think it'd be taking two years if you had that kind of participation. But they are really going out of their way to sell this as some wide-ranging, right-wing conspiracy, and they're going after innocent people. The FBI has post facto designated a grassy area outside the Capitol as a restricted zone when it was not restricted on January 6, 2021, in order to widen the net prosecutions. I mean, that's pretty dirty. I mean, you're just looking, grasping at straws to charge people with things, and you can't go back and designate areas as being restricted zones after the fact, but this is what the FBI has done. Or according to Agent Friend, the FBI intends to prosecute everyone even peripherally associated with January 6th, and another wave of J6 subjects are about to be referred to the FBI's Daytona Beach Residency Agency for investigation arrest. The Jacksonville area was inundated with Guardian notifications and FBI agents were dispatched to conduct surveillance and knock on people's doors, including people's who had not been to Washington, D.C. on January 6th or who had been to the Trump rally that day but did not go inside the Capitol. So I think Agent Friend was courageous to come forward. He was uh, 12 years within his, what he called his dream job, his dream career. So he's, he's actually on the backside. He's coasting really now towards uh, retirement and a pension. And he has been relieved of his duties, and I don't know if he has been formally fired. Does look like that's where we're headed to. His badge has been taken away, and he has been escorted off FBI property and cannot go back as of, well, the, this day, October 3rd, 2022. There have been a couple other agents that I'm aware of that have come forward publicly. One, a former agent, Stuart Copeland. And another whistleblower, I don't know what his status is. I think he's still technically an agent, but a, an agent by the name of Kyle Serafin. Both of them were featured on Dan Bongino. I've seen one episode of uh, Kyle. And basically, the gentlemen are talking about the corruption within the FBI, the weaponization, and the politicization of the, of the agency. I do plan on watching the second part. I'd really like to hear some of the commentary on the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Hopefully, uh, Mr. Serafin will get into that in the second part. And I do believe that uh, was a focus of the interview with Agent Copeland, but I, I cannot, I, well, I haven't watched it, so I will not comment on that. But I would be really interested to hearing their remarks on that raid. You know, I, say, I know this sounds dark. I mean, when you've got a a Department of Justice and at least the leadership of the FBI who are targeting the very people that they had swore to protect and even more importantly uphold the U.S. Constitution. I mean, it's very disheartening, but you should take heart that you do have people within that organization that are ringing the alarms and bringing this to people's attention. I don't know what's going to happen should the Democrats lose hold of Congress in November, this, there could be a day of reckoning for the abuses that these agencies have brought on the American people. You know, I'm always asking you to think. Agent Friend said this was a black swan event, a very rare event. Think about it. 
the DOJ is trying to tell you that there is a widespread problem and it could involve somewhere between a 30,000 and 105,000 people. Are they not as effective as Antifa? I mean, those are teenagers, what, 14, 19 year old little kids uh, going around wreaking havoc. I don't know how many there are. I bet you there's nowhere near 30,000 of them. Do you not think we would not have had another attack after January 6th? You just think that was a one off? Probably was. It's probably just like Agent Friend has described it a black swan event. But the DOJ and the Democrats do not want this to die out. They want to push this. They want to make sure that they use it against Donald Trump so he cannot run again. You would think after impeaching him twice, that would have been enough. No, they're going to push this big right-wing conspiracy. They would like for you to think that he's the leader of this big conspiracy involving 100,000 people. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous on face value. And if you read the backgrounds of some of these people, they have no, they have no criminal background. Uh, I told you the story about Mr. Martin, that uh, the judge looked at it. He looked at the tape after the prosecutor said that he was entering into the Capitol building violently. That's not what the tape showed. The tape showed that he was uh, walking by, patting a police officer on the shoulder. It looks like he was allowed to go in. He wasn't one that climbed the walls or went through the window. This is what Agent Friend is referring to when he's talking about the events of January 6th. Yes, there were some people there that committed crimes, a very small percentage overall of the people that were there, but they're trying to hang this on the necks of everybody that was there. Well, that's enough on that topic. Let's leave on a light note. Did you check out White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre trying to explain why Joe Biden is speaking to dead people? Yes, our president, President Joe Biden, not only President of the United States, but leader of the free world, a guy who has access to launch nuclear missiles, was at an event. It was for, uh, it was a conference on food, nutrition, and health. It was uh, recognizing people and their contributions. And uh, one of the people being recognized was the late representative, Jackie Walorski. And uh, he kept calling for her, looking for her out in the crowd like she was going to walk up on the stage. But unfortunately, Miss Walorski was involved in a very tragic car accident, and uh, she lost her life. She's she passed away. It's got to been well over two months. But he's actually searching the room and looking for. Her. Do you not think that anybody on his staff brought that to his attention? I mean, it's one thing to seeing him disoriented, having to be let off stages, uh, shaking, trying to shake hands with people who are not there, but. Man, we'll give him some credit. He, uh, he, uh, he got the name right. She, she just is unfortunately no longer with us. But as sad as that was, it was rather comical to hear the press secretary try to cover for him. You've probably already heard this, but it's, it's funny. It's uh, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. She should have learned how to circle back like Jen did, but uh, here's her attempt to try to explain away why our president did not realize someone that he was speaking of is no longer with us. Final what happened in the hunger event today? The president appeared to look around the room uh, for an audience member, a member of Congress who passed away last month. He seemed to indicate she might be in the room. What, so, what happened 
So the president was, uh, as you all know, you guys were watching uh, today's event, a very important event on uh, food insecurity. The president was naming uh, the congressional champions on this issue and was acknowledging her incredible work. He had uh, he had already uh, planned to welcome the congresswoman's family uh, to the White House on Friday. There will be a, a bill signing in her honor this coming Friday. Uh, so, of course, she was on his mind. She was of top of mind uh, for the president. He uh, looks very much looks forward to discussing her remarkable legacy of public service with them when he sees her family this coming Friday. He said, Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? She must not be here. I totally understand. I just I just explained she was on top of mind. Uh, um, you know, this wasn't what we were able to witness today and what the president was able to lift up. Uh, in this, uh, at this conference, at this event, uh, was how her uh, her focus on um, wanting to uh, uh, deal with combat food insecurity in America, and this is something that he was lifting up and honoring. And again, he knows that he's going to see her family this coming Friday. There is a bill signing uh, that's going to happen in renaming a VA clinic in, in Indiana after the late Congresswoman. He knows that he is going to see her family and she was a top of mind. Now, what's interesting is that question was not asked by Fox reporter Peter Ducey. For the last two years, the only people that would ask those kinds of questions were people like Peter Ducey. And there was another reporter who, who challenged her. He said, you know, I like John Lennon. John Lennon's always top of mind with me, and yet I don't think that he's living. But this poor woman has caught a lot of flack and I'd like for you to try to make something out of what she has to deal with. Can you imagine the staff meeting? They knew this question was going to come. It's very embarrassing. And somebody on that staff, that's the best that they could come up. You could tell when she said it, top of mind, which I've never heard that comment ever made in my life. But they, they probably worked through the night trying to figure out how in the world are we going to explain this one. So, you know... You're expecting somebody to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Sorry for cursing, Mom. You did raise me better than that. But back to uh, Jean-Pierre. I mean, what do you expect her to do with that? I, I couldn't have done no better with it. I would have probably said no comment, or I would have done like Jen used to say, I'm going to circle back and I'll get back with you on that one because there's, there's just there's not a good explanation for confusion, memory loss, poor judgment, difficulty speaking, wandering, getting lost. Other than the gentleman has dementia, that's, that's a valid response to a question like that. And I really think they should start thinking about limiting his exposure because not only you and I see this, the leaders of the world, people like Vladimir Putin are seeing the exact same things that you and I are seeing. So, well, anyway, top of the day, top of mind to you, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. I think you did a heck of a job. I don't think anybody could have done any better myself. Okay, with that, I think we're going to call it right there. I hope you uh, found something valuable in the show today. If you did, please hit follow. I look forward to your comments. Maybe we should have a contest. Who do you think is the most incompetent? Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Um, who else is there? I'm not going to put I'm not going to put uh, White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre in there. She doesn't deserve that. Matter of fact, she deserves uh, an applause for the job of trying to cover that mess. But uh, Secretary of State, what is his name? Blinken? He's not very impressive. Buttigieg? 
I, I, I can't figure that guy out. He's trying to sell electric cars and he can't even keep groceries on the shelves. He's got a major transportation problem. And uh, I, it's like he wants to go to work for, what's that guy's name, that real wealthy guy, the guy who makes electric cars? Tesla, Elon Musk. Dang, I was starting to act like Joe Biden there for a minute. He's still living, right? I hope he's doing okay. We'll probably put a hit squad out on Elon Musk for long. Hey, that's enough. It's just getting stupid. Hey, really enjoyed you spending this time with you. I'm going to go ahead and cut out. I'm out like a scout. There's no doubt. Can't wait to see you next time on Over and Under. You take care now. Bye.